Welcome to this podcast of sermons at CUNY United Methodist Church. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke, the 20th chapter. The Sadducees did not believe that people would rise to life after death. So some of them came to Jesus and said, Teacher, Moses wrote that if a married man dies and has no children, his brother should marry the widow. Their first son would then be thought of as the son of the dead brother. There were once seven brothers. The first one married, but died without having any children. The second one married his brother's widow, and he also died without having any children. The same thing happened to the third one. Finally, all seven brothers married this woman and died without having any children. At last, the woman died. When God raises people from death, whose wife will this woman be? All seven brothers had married her. Jesus answered, The people in this world get married, but in the future world, no one who is worthy to rise from death will either marry or die. They will be like the angels and will be God's children because they have been raised to life. In the story about the burning bush, Moses clearly shows that people will live again. He said, the Lord is the God worshiped by Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So the Lord isn't the God of death, but of the living. This means that everyone is alive as far as God is concerned. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, we are continuing through the Gospel of Luke. And if you, as we've been talking about, Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. Woohoo! Jesus made it to Jerusalem! Jesus is now in Jerusalem. It's been all the way since back at chapter 9. Jesus has been on the way, on the way. And finally, in the last chapter, Jesus made it. Jerusalem was super important. It was the center of the Jewish religion. The temple was there. It was, it was the governor's outpost, Roman governor, who they called the king of Israel. So it was a super important place. People had been watching as Jesus was going along, and they were hoping he's going to Jerusalem He's going to lead an insurrection. We are finally going to be rid of those nasty Romans. So the crowds celebrated when Jesus arrived. And remember, there was a big crowd, and they laid their cloaks down, and blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, the powerful people in Jerusalem, they were watching too. They watched the crowd call him king. They heard him teaching about the Torah and about God. And so things were heating up as Jesus enters Jerusalem. And rather than lay low, Jesus just keeps the gas on. And every single day he's in the temple. And every single day he is teaching. He is so visible. So the powerful people in Jerusalem think, if we can get the crowds to turn against him, then everything will be fine. And so today's reading, we heard the Sadducees give their very good attempt, doing their best, with, with frankly, a ridiculous question. The Sadducees were a sect of Judaism, a philosophical school, a denomination of Judaism. They were wealthy aristocrats in Jerusalem. They held to um, written scripture only. 
So they rejected the oral tradition of the Pharisees. And, and so since they only held to, to this written tradition, written scripture, they were conservative, they were pretty literal in the way that they read scripture, fundamentalist in their approach. And there is nothing written in the Hebrew scriptures about bodily resurrection. So they rejected it, even though the Pharisees talked about it. And it had actually become a big point of contention between them. And so they come to Jesus and they rightly quote the law of Moses and then give that scenario with the seven husbands. Marriage was a super big deal in the ancient world because children were a super big deal. Children were necessary for survival. And marriage is where it happened. Children were seen as a gift from God. You know, children that made it to adulthood. And that showed God's blessing. And the more children you had, the greater your blessing from God and the more honor. And so if a man died without the honor of having children, they had a law that the man's brother would marry the widow and any children they had would be considered the children of the dead brother. And then he could receive that honor. Of course, this only works with polygamy, you know, where a man can marry as many women um, as, as he can support. So the Sadducees bring this question about resurrection to Jesus using um, this law about marriage. And their scenario is absurd, you know, brother, you know, dies, the next one takes the widow, next one takes the widow. In the end, whose wife will she be? The whole question just makes me mad. Who does she belong to now? <laughs> I mean, it just makes my blood boil. And I, when I hear that, I want Jesus to give it to him. And he does. He says, in heaven, there is no marriage because there is no death. Try to follow with me. There's no death in heaven, which means there's no childbearing. We don't need to be repopulating. And by the way, Sadducees, you already know that, that in heaven there is life, that resurrection happens because God is the God of the living. Everything about our purity laws, Everything about our cleanliness laws are about keeping death away from worship of the God of the living. And you follow all of those laws and you name these people, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God is only the God of the living. Jesus gives it to him good. When I think about the way that they, you know, that, that question, they're laying it out for Jesus, trying to to get him to trip up, using a question to make their point. It reminds me of slogans I have seen today. You don't trust me with a choice, how can you trust me with a child? Or abortion. Would it bother us more if they used guns? They are both slogans with a point. Masquerading is a question. These are questions designed to make a point. They are not wonderings, they're not inquiry. The Sadducees use the question to make a point, 
It was not an inquiry. And I think we do that all the time. I'm better at spotting it in others than in myself. A while back, a child said to me, why should I clean my room? It just gets dirty again. <laughs> and in a moment of inspiration, I said, well, why should I feed you? You just get hungry again. <laughs> I'm sure that I have asked questions like that, but those don't spring to mind as good. Sometimes we use questions to help people connect the dots. You know, like when you say to your, to your school-age child, when is that project due? I mean, you're kind of making a point. You're wanting to go look it up. Sometimes we do it at work when people have dropped the ball, and instead of saying, you dropped the ball, we ask a question like this week. When I fail to go over the worship bulletin proof and get it back when I'm supposed to, and Gail, our secretary, emailed me and said, did you get the bulletin proof email? I did. Thank you for asking. I'll do it right now. <laughs> Sometimes in our spiritual life, questions are actually demands. They're demands that come out of sorrow. Sometimes in each other, our questions are demands. Why can't I play video games? Is really a demand, let me play video games. Or why did you interrupt your sister is really a demand, stop interrupting your sister. But sometimes in our spiritual life, we take these why questions to God that are really demands. Why did I get cancer? Which is really a demand, Lord, don't let me get cancer. Or God, why do you let child abuse happen? is really a demand, Lord, do not let child abuse happen. Or Lord, why did you give my child mental illness? Which is really a demand, Lord, cure my child's mental illness. I've asked questions like that. I think sometimes those why questions keep us away from the harder spiritual questions. Lord, how do I live with cancer? Lord, how do I heal from abuse? Lord, how do I parent when mental illness is in the works? Sometimes our why questions about that we ask to God, at least for me, are much easier to ask about other people rather than about ourselves. Why, what, Lord, why do you let bullying happen? But we don't say, Lord, why do you let me hurt people? We say, God, why did you let the Holocaust happen? But we don't say, Lord, why did you make me racist? We say, God, why do you let women suffer oppression, but we don't say, Lord, why did you plant sexism in me? Because I'm, I mean, I have that. I, you know, racism is in me and sexism is in me and I don't want it, but there it is. It has worked its way into me. 
So even as I am offended by the Sadducees' question, even as I have suffered sexism myself, it has wiggled its way into me. I grew up outside the church, but every pastor I saw was male. Then I was in the Catholic church, every pastor was a man. And then I had a call, felt a call to ordained ministry, and I went to my first worship service led by a woman, and I am ashamed to tell you it was hard. It was uncomfortable. I actually had trouble looking. I wanted to look away. And then I felt myself get critical, that her voice was either too soft and muttering or too hard and grating, that her posture was either too diminutive or she took up too much space. The truth is I was critical because I was sexist. And then I got mad at myself. How could I be sexist? And so I decided to do that work of being anti-sexist. And so I kept putting myself in those uncomfortable places. I forced myself to look, and I tried to shift from um, denying my sexism and instead observing my sexism. Well, after many years, women preaching no longer feels weird to me. Women celebrating at the table no longer feels uncomfortable. And yet, I still catch myself thinking those sexist things. And the truth is, it's the same with racism. I don't want to be racist, but I am. And so I try to observe myself having racist reactions rather than deny them. Our questions, those questions we take, the questions we have for God, they say a lot about us. And sometimes they are important discipleship-building questions, like, like how does prayer work? What is discipleship? What is God, how is God calling me to be part of God's transformative work in the world? Sometimes they're big and theological. Sometimes not as much. And they still say a lot about us. A question that my grandma had that she would chew on over and over was about resurrection. And she, her question was, what age will our bodies be in the resurrection? My grandma was an only child, and she deeply grieved her parents. Many years, I was going out to Parma with her every Memorial Day, putting flowers on her parents' graves. And she would say, what age are our bodies going to be? Because if we have our 20-year-old bodies, she said, how will I recognize my parents? She said, or if we have our 70-year-old bodies, well, I'm not that fond of the 70-year-old body. <laughs> And I remember the night. She was in the hospital recovering from surgery. And they called at 4 a.m. and they said, come right now. And I went right then. And I arrived five minutes after she died. 
And I sat there in the chair looking at her chest for movement that wasn't there. And I thought, well, now she knows how she will recognize her parents. My grandma's question, you could argue, was not deep and theological. What age will our bodies be? But it did reveal deep trust in the resurrection, in our resurrection. And it revealed deep love for her parents. Our questions for God say a lot about us. And sometimes they are important discipleship-building questions. Sometimes they are snarky, even like the Sadducees. And as Jesus showed us in today's reading, God can handle our snarky questions. Questions, our questions for God keep us on the path of discipleship. They keep us connected with Jesus. And the truth is God can handle all of them. And so this week, I invite you to think about what are your questions for God without worrying about whether they're good questions or bad questions. What are your questions for God? But maybe then also wonder, what are the questions I have for God that grow my discipleship? And put focus on those. Would you pray with me? Lord God, you created us wondering people. You gave us the capacity to question you. Lord, we know some questions lead us closer to you and some questions lead us farther away. And we also have seen, Lord, that you handle all our questions. Lord, we ask you to plant in us those questions that draw us near to you, that grow us as disciples and send us out on your mission. We pray this all in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening. This podcast is preached almost always by our pastor, Reverend Mia Crossway. CUNY United Methodist Church is a community on a mission to make disciples for the transformation of the world. To support this podcast and the missional priorities of this church, go to cunaumc.org and click on Give. Any amount helps. And if you're kind enough to share your contact information with us, we'll continually send you things.